All right. All right. So, so, but here's the deal. We have our virtual event planned for 2021, two days of programming. They're two weeks apart on July 17th and July 31st. So check out the website at San Diego Writers Festival.com. There you go. This is what we do. We just sit here and podcast all day, every day for you, dear listener. So yeah, I, we've got another one coming up here in a couple couple seconds. Uh, this is a Warwick's author, and I hope you'll sit back and enjoy it. And don't skip the ads. Don't skip the ads. I'm kidding. There are no ads. We only have like the outro. and. Well, our ads are good, though. It's Warwick's, you know, support local. Again, the San Diego Writers Festival, which, you know, the whole point of the premise is to bring industry leaders and book authors and publishing experts to you. So yeah, the ads are important. Yeah, San Diego Writers Festival. Hi, Eric. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really well. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to talking about this beautiful book, Things We Lost to the Water. It's it's one of the, my favorite books that I've read in a while. Um, I can't wait to get started. But first, let's tell our listeners and our uh, guests, if you will, a little bit about you. Eric Wen earned an MFA in creative writing from McNeese State University in Louisiana. He has been awarded fellowships from Lambda Literary, Vona, and the Tin House Writers Workshop. He is the editor-in-chief at Dia Critics. He lives in Washington, D.C., where he's joining us from now. And Things We Lost to the Water is his first novel. Wonderful first novel. I want to tell people a little bit about the book. So I'm going to read the description, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. When, and, and I want to apologize to everyone, but especially to Eric, because I know I'm going to butcher some pronunciations. So please forgive me and correct me. Here we go. When Hung, did I say that right? Hung? Yes. Hung. When Hung arrives in New Orleans with her two young sons, she is jobless, homeless, and worried about her husband, Kong who remains in Vietnam. As she and her boys begin to settle into life in America, she continues to send letters and tapes back to Kong, hopeful that they will be reunited and her children will grow up with their father. But with time, Huang realizes she will never see her husband again. While she comes to cope with this loss, her sons, Tuan and Bin, grow up in their absent father's shadow, haunted by a man and a country trapped in their memory and imagination. As they push forward, the three adapt to life in America in different ways. Huang takes up with a Vietnamese car salesman who is also new to town. Tuan tries to connect with his heritage by joining a local Vietnamese gang, and Bin, now going by Ben, embraces his adopted homeland and his burgeoning sexuality. Their search for identity as individuals and as a family threatens to tear them apart, but then disaster strikes and the city they now call home, and they must find a new way to come together and honor the ties that bind them, and those ties are strong. So. This book is so beautiful. It's it's so it, I just was like swept away as if I were in water, I might add. And I loved the the use of water. I mean, water honestly plays uh, such a role. It's like a character in the book. And I'd like to get into that. But I wa I wanted to say, 
you know, this book is about the immigrant experience, specifically a Vietnamese mother, as we mentioned, her two young sons. One remembers his father in Vietnam, Vietnam, and the younger is born in America, so he never even met his father. They each struggle in different ways, each of the three characters. We get a very personal and intimate look at what it's like to carve out an identity. Um, in a place, you know, figure out who you are in a place where people make you feel othered, um, either overtly or subtly um, in this experience. What struck me is when I first started reading, I thought, oh, Huang, it's her story. This is her story. And then I kept reading and I was like, oh, no, this is Tuan's story. And then, of course, I was like, no, this is Bin's story. But you did such a good job of making it each of their stories. You did, I mean, it's just so beautiful that each of them comes to life in such a, such an incredible, rich way. Well done. Thank you for writing it. Tell us where this story came to you and where these characters came from. Um, well, for the longest time, I was like, try, I had the idea of writing um, down like my parents' story. And part of that was because my parents never told me about their um backstory, how they escaped Vietnam by boat. Uh, I, I basically knew that much. But mm -hmm. when I asked them for more information, they, they never really talked much about it. They kind of tried, wanted to move on. Um, so, so for the longest time, I kind of had like this curiosity in me, like, well, well what happened? Like, uh, why would someone flee a country where they, they basically made their home already, made their lives? Um, yeah. So when I was down in Louisiana, uh, getting my MFA um, and had basically because of class I had to write. Um, I just went forward and started writing the story. Um, um, at first, it was mainly Hoong's story, the mother's story, because like I said, I really wanted to get into uh, my parents and their generation's story of leaving Vietnam and settling um, in America after the Vietnam War. Um, yeah. So like that was my intention. That was like the, the first chapter I wrote was from her perspective. Mm. but. Mm -hmm. She had a, a son and then another son, and I felt like they had their own story. So at first, I, I wanted their own lives to kind of reflect on Hoong's life, um, like as a mirror, for example, for instance. Um, yeah. But then they kind of just came to life on their own, and they had their own stories, and I, I just followed them wherever they went. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, as I was reading, I was like, oh, I wonder if this, like, is this family history? Like, it's so, you bring them to life in such a rich way that I, I thought for sure these must be real characters. They're real people, right? But, but they're so different, you know, like Huang, and I apologize again for mispronouncing her name. She, she I love her. Like, she's such a beautiful character her her spirit is you know she's very reserved in a lot of ways but yet she has such a big personality and i wonder did she did you base her on anyone in your life or your mother um i think well not like on purpose but i feel like when i was <laughs> right. writing her like like I, I felt like my mom's like own characteristics somehow made it in there i mean like who and my mother are like totally different people uh, but like i, I feel like Especially, uh, I feel like her re resilience, um, mm, the totally, way she like, yeah. kind of like always trying to solve a problem. I feel like I really got that from my mom, like observing her growing up, especially when I was younger. She was still kind of trying to get a foothold into her space, into in American society. So I, mm -hmm. I felt like even if I didn't do it on purpose, a part of her spirit um, got into that character. 
we can't really help it. Right. I mean, when we create characters, I mean, we write what we know. So I imagine that's just, you just can't help it. I think what I loved about her the most is she had this quiet, reserved intelligence, but yet, you know, she says, I was a housewife, you know, she, she wouldn't have been more than a housewife in Vietnam. And yet she has such this powerful intelligence and like, and it comes through in such a way that it's not, it's not like you're trying to say, this is an intelligent woman. She just is. And she just was like, so beautiful to me. I really fell in love with her. And when I started reading Tuan, you know, his chapter, I was like, wait a minute, this is about her. And then he came to life in the same way. And their struggles were so unique. Um, I, I feel like you did a good job of explaining, you know, someone who had to escape a very dangerous place, her country, you know, and come to a foreign place. And then a young boy who has very like, almost like picture, you know, snapshots of memories and his experience of trying to fit in and yet he doesn't know the language. And then Ben, who is born in America. So each of those experiences is so different from each other. And yet they were living in the same household and going through all of this together and yet separate. Did, was that your intention to show these three different layers of the immigrant experience or just, it just happened? I think part of it just happened. Uh, like I said, like I meant this to be like Rune's story, but then like her son's story kind of took over, but then like, like mm-hmm. part of it was like craft wise, like how, how do I make sure my characters are like really different? So like yeah. I, I made them born kind of in different places. Um, and that in itself has like their own journeys and that kind of automatically makes them very different people. So, so I think that was partly how I came to their journeys. But I, I think once I went through several drafts, I kind of started realizing like, hey, I, I, like Ben's experience kind of is almost kind of like my experience as an American born Vietnamese person. And Dom's mm. uh, experience is like the experience of like some of my friends who were born in Vietnam, but then like left and came here. Um, so I think that's just something that came up kind of like almost naturally in my exploration. Um, mm. But then once like I, I, I saw it, like you just kind of, I just kind of grasped it and like continuing, continue um, to explore that. I think that's the fun part of writing is when you kind of surprise yourself in that, like in that sense. I find that, you know, when I interview authors, everyone says, you know, I had to follow the characters, you know, and you're saying the same thing. The characters were leading you. Like, did you know the ending when you, let's say halfway through the book, did you know how it would end or were you surprised by the ending? I think I've always in my mind, I knew where I wanted the story to go. So like I have like this, like I remember like writing like the first, like first like chapter or so. And I was thinking, Hey, this should end where the novel eventually does end. Like I have like this picture in my mind, like, okay, I need to go there. Whatever I write from now on needs to head in that direction. So I kind of use the ending that I already had in mind at the beginning as Mm. kind of a compass, you could say, as to where I wanted the characters to go and what needs to happen to them. Um, But that's not to say that my characters didn't surprise me into like how they became uh, who they are. Like, um, Doom, like for me, like I, I want him to be kind of a rough character um, that's why yeah. I keep he's associated with the gang, but like to my surprise, he like I found him a little bit a tender person almost. He was gentle. Yeah. Yeah. And like I, I didn't do it on purpose, like he just happened that way. And like I, my characters did surprise me, even if I 
I knew where the book was heading. I felt like with Tong, and I'm going to call him T because I can not butcher that. I, I felt like he had to be strong, you know, because there were bullies in school. And, you know, he was facing a lot more than his little brother was just trying to be there for his mom. And, you know, it, it felt like he was struggling between the gentle, tender person inside, you know, who loves animals and, you know, who cares deeply about nature and he pays attention to things. And then the person who had to survive and be strong and, you know, join a gang if he had, you know, I, are you there? I apologize. I just had something pop up on my screen and I apologize. I lost you for a minute. I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, good. My, my apologies. I haven't ever had that happen to me. So uh, to me, it was like, he was, he became like my favorite character until I got to know Ben. And then he became my favorite character. And in the end, they were all my favorite characters, but you know, I want to talk about Louisiana and the setting. So you were in grad school. So clearly the setting kind of just appeared for you because you were there and writing it there. It's, what was it like writing about a place that you aren't from, that you didn't grow up in? I think for me, it meant a lot of research and trying to be in a place. Um, while I was in Louisiana, I lived like three hours away from New Orleans and I had the chance to like go to New Orleans a whole lot like during weekends. And like, well, I, I kind of already like love the city, um, mm. like because I traveled there before I went to grad school. But like, I guess my love for the city started as like kind of a tourist kind of love. Like, it's new, it's there, um, you love it. But then once I started visiting it more um, and got to know the people, and like my research was like talking to people, just like staying there for a while, um, getting to know people's story, getting to know the feel, the energy of the city, um, you kind of get a, a, a deeper connection to the city, a, a newfound kind of love and respect for the city. Um, and I tried to use that newfound like love and I kind of put that energy into the novel. Um, I'm not sure like if you can like so much as put like a city in a place in a book because like a mm -hmm. city is so big, it's kind of almost impossible to like kind of depict it. but. I hope at least I have like that energy, that feel that I get like when I go to New Orleans and I'm walking down the street that I know that's the feeling I'm trying to get into. I, I tried to get into the book that I was writing. Um, and I think that's really important when writing about any place is just, um, totally. just get to know the place, get to know how it feels to be in the place. Um, and I guess you have to come from it with um, respect. Yeah. You know, I've visited New Orleans a couple of times and when I go there, I feel this like electricity, you know, this energy, just like you said, that makes me feel so creative. Like, I just feel like there are so many books and characters in that city that are just waiting for someone to come along and write them. So I, I loved reading about, you know, a story based there. It was super fun. Um, I'm not from there, so I can't say if it's totally accurate, but to me, it felt super genuine and authentic and I absolutely loved it. I, I want to go back a minute. So you said your parents didn't really talk about their immigrant experience. Have they read your book? No, they have not. Um, partly because like, I kind of separate my writer self from my, my, my person as like a son or a, a brother. Um, so like, I feel like there's like a wall there, like your job versus your personal life. But also mm -hmm. my parents don't like read English. So like they really have no access to the book as of mm. now, unless it gets translated. Um, but yeah, I 
think like I feel like my book is kind of like my homage to them. Um, mm. I wanted to like pay respect to them in a way. Yeah. So I, I just, I can hope at this moment that I'd be them proud. I hope that they read it. I think they'd be very proud. It's, it's so beautiful. Do you hope that it's translated? Uh, yeah, I think, I think. Like, in French for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like, any writer wants like their work to be translated, but I feel like as a Vietnamese American, I would like it would mean a lot to have this translated like into Vietnamese, like just because like it's the first language I, I knew, um, mm. though I don't like know it anymore. It's just mm. like, another layer of connection that I feel is important to me. Sure, and the heritage. Yeah, I, I loved the inclusion of Vietnamese in the book itself. And even though like, you know, sometimes I couldn't understand it, I was, I picked up on words and I was like, oh, that means mom, that means dad. And, you know, my dear. And I like, it was really endearing to me to have the language included. Did you always plan to include Vietnamese in it? Or did, was there a time when you thought, mm, maybe I shouldn't do this? Um, I think for me, those like passages kind of came naturally because like, I guess while I was writing, I was imagining my own household when I was growing up. And like mm -hmm. the sound of that household is bilingual. You hear like me and my brother can be speaking English, but then like you hear my mother speaking Vietnamese and we answer <laughs> back either. And, like, yeah, we can, we can talk in like two different languages and, and, and we'll understand each other. So that was what I was going for. I felt like doing that was the most authentic I can be for like a Vietnamese family, writing it mm -hmm. down. Um, so like there, there was no hesitancy. I felt like it was natural. Um, and I, I feel like I use it in a way that like, doesn't like burden the reader. Um, I, I feel oh, like, yeah. Yeah. like you can learn from context, um, what it means. Like, I, I feel like there, like a lot of books out there who, that does like this kind of code switching, um, like from different languages, like French or even Spanish, um, that I feel at least like people are kind of used to it now, you know, like readers are smart. I, I feel like there's not enough um, credit for them to like look at a sentence. Part of it is like in a different language and like they can understand completely what it means just by context of um, not only like the, the surrounding space of that paragraph, but also from like the characters would they say something totally endearing yeah. or mean. So I, I think absolutely. Yeah, the readers play a lot, a, a big role in trying to decode the language, you could say. And I think that's true in any book too. I mean, I think the a reader plays such a huge part, like you write it, but then once it's in the hands of your reader, like my experiences add to the richness and the layers, you know, and I experience it in a whole, wholly different way than someone else who's going to read it. And I mean, that's the beauty, beauty of literature, really. Speaking of the beauty of literature, um, the, the father figure in the book is a, um, he's an English, he's a professor. And there's this point in the book where I'm not going to quote it, but this, this idea that art transcends all borders and boundaries. Um, and he says, you cannot imprison beauty and truth. This felt kind of like a mantra of sorts. And I just wanted to ask you, I mean, th there's this poetic struggle to be true to art. And I wonder how much of your writing has come up against the the struggle and this idea that art transcends borders. Can you speak to that? I think when we're talking about art transcending border, I think that's like the thing that artists kind of want to like go towards. They want their art to like 
as specific as it is, in my case, like it's a story of Vietnamese, of Vietnamese refugee family. They, they wanted to speak to other people in different ways. And I feel like um, the father character in the book is kind of a firm believer in that. He like he teaches French literature in Vietnam. Like I feel like that's in itself like a big cross border kind of thing. Because um, mm-hmm. you have like the French language, we're also talking about it in Vietnamese. Um, yeah. So like I feel like that was part of my goal is to say tell a very specific story, but hopefully get to some universality of maybe loss being dislocated from a place that you were born or where um, you're not where going to a place where you're um, an outsider in a way. So I think um, I, I really believe in art as a yeah. way to like say something very specific, but then hopefully if all goes to plan, someone else say, hey, I, I know that feeling. I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but I know that feeling of, for example, being different, of being yeah. um, made fun of for something that I do that as part of my culture. So I, I do believe, like, I feel like that is like a mantra to not only like the, the father figure, but kind of like all my character experience, they kind of try to live like a certain truth. Um, and like that's their journey is towards this truth of kind of merging, I guess, the cultures that they live in, the American, but also the Vietnamese cultures and then the specific Louisiana culture that they have. Yeah. And Louisiana culture is so rich too. You know, I mean, you took two places that have super rich culture and mash them together. And I mean, the, the effect is really incredible. And I think it's that much more rich for that reason. Um, in this book, there were a lot of things that as I was reading, I was like, oh yeah, people are constantly throwing racial slurs at our main characters, all three of them. And one of the things that happens over and over is people call them Chinese, these Chinese slurs. And I just wanted to one, I just wanted to ask, is this something that's happened to you personally? Yeah, I think like growing up, I, like I grew up in a kind of small Vietnamese community, but like outside that community, like no one really knew about like Vietnamese uh, um, like Vietnamese people. Um, so like everyone kind of assumed that if you are Asian, if your parents came from Asia, you must be Chinese. Um, so that, I, I felt like that kind of, that kind of microaggression is kind of embedded in me. Like I know how that feels. And I felt like yeah. it was very natural just for my characters to experience that because I feel like that was like so much part of my experience to be mistaken for, I guess, another type of Asian. Um, I hope like having like a Vietnamese story kind of highlights like the uniqueness of Vietnamese American culture, Vietnamese people, um, because like we're we're not Chinese, we're not any other um, ethnic yeah. group in Asia. And I feel like it's important um, to to have that nonce that there's like different types of there's there's many people in Asia, and like you can't just call everyone Chinese. Well, that's ridiculous. There's there's so many subtle messages in this book that are so important, but they're but you t- you're never preaching. This book doesn't preach at all. You know, there's one point where the mother, um, someone says, "Where are you from?" and she says, "Louisiana," or I think she even says, "New Orleans." And they say, "No, where are you really from?" And I that just like kills me. I, I had an experience with a hairdresser uh, several years ago, and I said to her, "Where are you from?" And she said, oh, well, my mother is Chinese and my father's Puerto Rican. And I looked at her and I thought, well, no, no. I mean, where are you from? <laughs> she said, oh, 
where am I from? I said, yeah, where are you from? She said, oh, I'm from San Francisco. And I'm like, what, how, wait a minute, let's unpack this, you know? And she said, oh yeah, people ask me where I'm from all the time. They're really asking me my heritage. And I thought, my God, I can't even imagine. So I love that you put that in the book in such a subtle way that I hope that people, it rings true for people that like, wow, you know, pay attention. Um, people don't pay attention. And I think that's one of the things that's so beautiful about it and I'll hold it up again, is, is that it's, it's subtle, it, but you really experience what it's like to feel othered and to be, you know, to be labeled, let alone labeled incorrectly, you know? So I thought that was really well done. There's another scene in the book that I loved where Ben is at a party and everyone's white and he can't tell them apart. And he's like, he's referring to them. He's like, okay, that's the person with the cardigan. So that's the cardigan guy. And each person is like wearing something different and that's how he can like differentiate them. And I loved that you included that. Talk to us about that scene. I think like that was like me being kind of subversive in a way. This, I um, liked like, it. Cause like, there's like <laughs> always that joke that like, like, non-Asians can't like tell like Asians apart and I kind of yeah. wanted to like flip the script so like I, I had like my Vietnamese character like sit in a room with a lot of white people and like yeah and they all look the just, same <laughs> yeah to, to him so like I, I felt like that that was I, I for me that moment was fun to write I, I feel like that was me being kind of subversive and playful with mm -hmm. um I guess what I myself might experience yeah, I, I loved it. And I thought to myself when I read it, he must have had fun writing this scene because, yeah, it's so deserved, you know, and especially since you've told us why. Um, let's talk about communism and its role in the book. It, it plays, uh, without giving anything away, speak to the role of communism and how you worked that into the story. So I think on, on the basic level, communism is basically why a lot of Vietnamese people fled because um, during the war, basically the communists versus South Vietnam, who uh, wanted more of, like, I guess, a free market, but also like democracy. Um, so they fled because a, it wasn't what they wanted in their own society. And two, because when the communists came to power, the kind of first thing that they wanted to do was seek revenge um, mm. on, on their fellow countrymen for this mm. basically a civil war. Um, so yeah. communism basically is kind of the starting point of why the characters flee, why the story kind of even happens. So for for my refugee characters, like whom especially, communism is like this this bad thing, this thing that made, made her have to give her give up her life, have to make her leave her country. Um, so that's where she's coming from. But compared to like her son Ben, who later. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but he, I know, he right? <laughs> falls for uh, um, someone calls himself a communist, and he's like yeah. prideful of that. So he, he there's like a moment that he feels like it's very ironic that he, he kind of falls in love with uh, someone who calls himself communist when it was the, the communists were what his parents were trying to run away from, and I think that kind of I guess moment kind of highlights kind of a drifting away from like the the origin uh, for like mm. Vietnamese people. I, I feel like as someone from my generation, like I, I never understood like communism as a threat. Like especially in American society, like politics politicians are always saying communist is socialism that like we, we never had like a, a real understanding of that. So like 
I feel like at least for my generation, like that has never seen like a like a real legitimate threat. It's just like something like politicians just throw around. But like for my parents' generation, for whom's generation, it's something yeah. like with dire consequences. Um, yeah. So I, I think like that that kind of divide kind of you, you see that like even today when um, a, a lot of the older um, Vietnamese people are usually more conservative compared to the younger generation who are usually more liberal. So I, I think there's that divide that I was trying to if not explore mm-hmm. to at least like show that it was there. Yeah. I mean, you show two sides of it as being, you know, the thing that's going to save us and the thing that really destroyed an entire country. Um, so that was, that was well done. Would you like to read a passage from the book? Sure. So I'm going to read from the first chapters, pretty short. Um, I don't think you know, you don't need to know anything about it because it's <laughs> like the first page, like literally. So it's August 1979. New Orleans is at war. The long howl in the sky. What else mm. can it mean? Boom drops the dishes into the sink and grabs the baby before he starts crying. She begins running toward the door, but then she remembers. This time, another son. She forgets his name temporarily. The howl is so loud. What's important is to find him. Is he under the bed? No, he is not under the bed. Is he hiding in the closet? No, he is not in the closet. Is he in the bathroom then? Behind the plastic curtains, sitting scared in the tub. He is not in the bathroom. Behind the plastic curtains, sitting scared in the tub. And as she turns around, he's at the door, holding on to the frame, his eyes watering, his cheeks red. Meh, he cries, Mom. The word reminds Poon of everything she needs to know. The next moment, she grabs his hand and pulls him towards her chest. With this precious cargo, these two sons, she darts across the apartment, an arrow flying away from its bow, a bullet away from its gun. She's racing toward the door and leaping down the steps, but she can't move fast enough. The air is like water. It's like running through water through an ocean. She feels the wetness on her legs and the water rising in the sky, the early evening sky with a spotting of stars already, the streets red and orange like a fire, like an explosion suspended mid-air. In that moment before the crush, the shattering, the death she's always imagined, does someone yells, stop? Someone tells her to stop. And just like that, the sirens hush. The silence is violent. It slices, it cuts. Hurricane alarm, Diane says. The old woman drops her cigarette. Just a hurricane alarm, a test, nothing to be afraid of. She reaches over and cups Hoom's cheek. What do you mean? Hoom asks. A test, they're doing a test in case something happens. Diane says, go home, Gunai, go home. Get some rest, it's getting late, home. Late, getting, there, late, who understands? Or maybe she does not. A thousand thoughts are still settling in her mind. Where were the sounds from before? Not the alarm, but the greeting calls of the grackles and the trees. Mm. 
the whistling breeze, a car speeding past. Where are they now? She notices Dum at the gates. Her eyes light up. Dum Ai. Dum holds onto the bars of the gate and watches three boys riding past on bicycles. One stands on his pedals. Another rides without hands, but only for a second before grabbing in a panic motion the handlebars. The younger one tries to keep up on training wheels. Three boys, three brothers. Dum Ai. Dum calls again. Dum waves as the boys ride leisurely past. When they're gone, he returns. And Hoon feels a mixture of pure happiness, comfort, and relief. Up the dirt road, a mother and her sons, hand in hand. Very nice. Thank you. Thanks. It's such a beautiful way, such a beautiful passage. You know, it, it shows the her panic, you know, having fled Vietnam, you know, war-torn Vietnam. And then here she is trying to settle into a place that has alarms that... You know, she forgets who she is for a brief moment. Um, very poignant. Was that passage written toward the end? When did you write that piece? In, I, in relation to finishing the book? Yeah, I think I wrote that more towards the end of like finishing the novel. Like even like the first draft didn't even have that chapter. I, I think so, or like second or third. It wasn't until like a later draft that I added that on um, because I, I felt like I needed to situate it, the characters. Mm like in the moment, like in media rest, just where they are before, like we know, like they got there in the first place. And I felt like that chapter kind of set the mood for what I was, I, I want the reader to get in the rest of the novel, even though yeah. um, it starts like a year before um, the next chapter. Talk to us about your writing process. Uh, well, my writing process was, I guess, kind of all over the place. I, I actually didn't write like this book in like order as you see it, I kind of wrote like the, what's now the second chapter was the first chapter I actually wrote. And then from there I wrote like the one of the chapters when um, Dung was with the gang. So like I kind of hopped around the place, um, but I felt like that kind of helped me because I kind of, once I wrote them in, it, it kind of cemented who they would become. So that gave me like mm. kind of a compass to see well, what needs to happen in their life for them to eventually go to that place in their life in the future? How would I make um, a person want to join a gang, for example? So I felt, even though I felt it was kind of non-traditional in the way I wrote it, but I felt maybe that's how my mind worked, but also that's, that really helped me with trying to navigate what I wanted to do with the characters. Hmm. Are you the kind of person who has like a very specific place that you write like a certain time of day? Do you write every day? Um, I like to write on weekends. I usually treat the weekends like write a, a couple hours. I try to spend, um, have a block of time that I just work on writing. And when I say writing, that could mean a whole lot of things. Like actual writing stuff on the computer could mean reading like books to do research. Um, mm -hmm. It could mean a lot of things, um, but I try to use like my weekends. Like I, I feel like if I, like people say that you should write like every day, but I feel like if I did that, like I, I feel like that wouldn't excite me anymore. I feel like it would just be like any other routine. So mm -hmm. I, I feel like preserving like a, a time to write kind of makes me excited about writing. Uh, it's mm -hmm. something like to look forward to at the end of the week. Like, hey, the week's over, let's 
go to my desk and write. So you're, you're one of those people, you're writing all week long. You're just not putting pen to paper or fingers to keyboard, but you're just ruminating, it sounds like. Yeah, it's I think kinda... like that, that <laughs> thinking is really important because you can't just go to like yeah. your computer and type out. You have to think about it. Are you working on your second book? Yes, I am. Um, I'm keeping Yay. quiet about it um, just because okay. like, I feel like I might jinx it if I say too much too early. <laughs> Fair enough. But I'm glad to know. I mean, there's no surprise that you're working on your next book. Your, your writing is so beautiful. And I know that's, you know, that's what you do, but I just wanted to just, just say thank you. It's such a beautiful book. I'm, I'm curious, what kind of books do you read? What, who are some of your favorite authors? Um, I think I, I read like anything basically I, I feel like as a child I, I read basically anything that's in front of me like like I, I like like my husband kind of jokes at me like when I'm eating something like I, I read You'll the rapper like, like, <laughs> I I, I, like, if, like <laughs> if I don't have a book I'll, I'll just read the rapper and like I, I I like I guess that's who I am just a reader so like I read mostly fiction but then sometimes into like nonfiction. I'm really like into nature and travel writing um just because like especially like in the pandemic when you can't travel like that's like a perfect way to travel in your head is by reading other people traveling um so like my favorite writers i would say uh like dan tyler's usually a, a favorite of mine she comes out with a book i feel like every two years or so they're always like really good um i also like louise erdrich um mm -hmm. edward Danticat. um yeah i think just off the top of my head, those are the writers like I go to um, who are at least still alive who are coming out with books that I, I see their name, I, I buy automatically. Did, that's awesome. I I have the same list. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm, I'm going to read it. You will be one of those authors, by the way. <laughs> Did you say earlier that you your first language was Vietnamese? Yeah, I grew up um, basically in a Vietnamese household. My parents spoke. Vietnamese, so it wasn't until like I had to, like, to kind of go to school that I had mm. to learn um, English. And like actually, like my first year, like of preschool, like I, I didn't talk at all. And like the teacher thought it was something wrong with me, but like I really just didn't know the language. So I just yeah. was quiet absorbing it. But like Vietnamese was, I would say, the home language until like I got older and my, my siblings got older too. And we started speaking English because like that's what we learned in school. So our household just became like a bilingual household. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you use that experience in the book. Yeah, that definitely. experience is that. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like, especially with Tung's character, he is very rude in like, his Vietnamese language. And he does use a lot compared to his brother, who I think one of the first chapters you kind of see him, he's like, my name's going to be Ben now. Um, so I, I feel like, through those two characters, like I kind of wanted to explore that growing up process of growing up like Vietnamese, but then becoming American in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Did you always know that you wanted to be a writer? I think I did. I like when I was younger, I, I always like wrote like stories for fun. Um, but like I never really thought of it as anything that I can do. Like writers like were these like mysterious people to me. Like I didn't know like there's like <laughs> school programs for it and like yeah. that's why my undergrad was in sociology because I, I didn't know like that you could write but then I took a workshop at the end of literary and from there I kind of learned that hey if you just 
read a lot, you write a lot, you apply yourself to the, the art, you, you can have a book published one day too. And you did. And here yeah. it is. And I love it. It's such a good book. Thank you so much for, for writing this book, for, for sharing the experiences of these characters. It's, I, hope, I hope that our, our listeners will buy this book from Warwick's and love it as much as I do. So thank you, Julie. Hi, you're back. Hi, I'm back. <laughs> love this conversation. Thank yeah, you, this Eric. Book is so good. It's so good. And 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 Eric, you know, it's you're one of those writers that I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful and so well written that it's like intimidating. But you've been so fun to talk to. And so I really appreciate like your openness. I have one more thing I wanted to say. The acknowledgments in your book. I get the feeling that you're an incredibly private person. So Julie and I were talking about this in the green war green room before. My favorite part about like finishing a, an amazing, beautiful book like this is reading the acknowledgments because you learn so much about the author and you gave us zero. You just listed <laughs> a name of people. I want to thank these people. And then you listed them. And I was like, wait, what is, so I, you were, am I right? Are you a very private person? Do you prefer to kind of keep it close to your chest? Yeah, I'm a very private person. Like I said, like with my family, like I'm like a son or brother first usually. And like the writer part is like, outside the house just like he's waiting in the car um, and like <laughs> yeah so like I, I feel like there's a separate part of me who's a writer and there's a separate part of me who goes about his everyday life and I, I feel like my writing schedule is kind of like that too like during the weekday like I'm just mm. like whoever but like on the weekends in my writing time like I'm the writer working on this novel yeah that's that makes sense that makes yeah. sense well, I'll continue to stalk you and learn more about you. <laughs> I don't know. It might be hard to stalk him. He's a, he's a private dude. So <laughs> it might be a hard stalking case. Um, so Eric, we do have from Thelma on Facebook. would like to know, do you have any plans or events to share the book with the Vietnamese, Vietnamese American community, like Vietnamese student groups and colleges or other Vietnamese groups? Um. I don't have like specific plans so far, but like I have like connected to like Vietnamese publications. Um, one based in Seattle. Um, so they covered like the book with an interview with me and that was translated into Vietnamese. So I think that's the starting point. Um, just, I think part of the, that, the trouble there is that like, the book is in English and like a Vietnamese translation would be really cool. Yeah. Um, so like, that's where I am right now. Really cool for a Vietnamese translation, um, so that's out there. But I would love to like connect with other Vietnamese um, people. Yeah, Americans. Totally. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm sorry, and I apologize if you already answered this because I was in, when I left the screen, I was dealing with a little bit of an emergency back here in the back screen. How long did it take you to write this book? Did you guys cover that? No, and I meant to ask that. Yeah, yeah. good question. Yeah, it took me seven years to write, and three years of that was in my MFA program. Um, so I submitted it as my thesis mm. and I decided to keep on working on it afterwards. And that took an additional like four years to do. Wow. 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 And so That's I'm awesome. assuming that your publisher is not giving you that amount of time to write your second one. <laughs> we'll see. They're usually like, it's like, okay, when's the next one coming? <laughs> it, it really hopefully. felt like you took your time with it because everything is just so seamless and nothing felt rushed in the book to me at all. 
So I've, I've, I had a feeling that it, you spent some years on this. So maybe that's just because it would take me years to write a book like this, right. if at all. <laughs> well, like you said, when they, when, you know, when it's all comes together in the beautiful lyrical language that mm-hmm. takes that you, you know, it's, it's a process. Okay. There's yeah. the next one. So the title, was that always the title? No, the original title was a history of lost things. Um, mm. But me, my editor, agent kind of thought that that didn't really fit the book like on, on the head sex what it actually was um mm. so like in that case it was kind of a, a vague title but I, we ran through some ideas and i think things were lost to the water was something that really stuck because water plays such an important role and like that title's just like very specific to this family and their story so i, I think yeah. it's it's a much better title in my opinion yeah. We nailed it. So was that a collaboration who with all of you just like throwing titles out to each other kind of thing? Yeah, we were pretty much just throwing titles around each other, just like lists over email. And yeah. this one stuck out. Yeah, for sure. Which brings me to the cool. cover. So mm-hmm. the cover is great. And so I know a lot of others don't have a lot to do with the cover. They usually like will present you. But was that when you saw this one, was it like this? That was it? Yeah, so I was presented two covers and I saw this one and it was like so striking that I was like, yeah, definitely this one. Like, like it was just like, yeah. So yeah. I, I went with it. Um, and I, I'm really glad. I feel like like people have told me the cover was beautiful and, and I agree. And I, I agree too. To cover. Because we're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but we do. No, we do. <laughs> and it's when you're, when you're looking at covers, when you go into a bookstore, which hopefully everybody's going to bookstores now that we're all kind of opened up again. It speaks to, you know, when that's on a table, it's very compelling to like, that's yeah. a great, it's a great cover. So really fun. It was designed by Chip Kidd. Did you meet Chip? No, um, everything has been virtual. Like, so I haven't met my, my editor in person yet. Really? Yeah, it's all been mm. like digital. Virtual. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, so you guys, well, so you'll have a whole experience after we all shut down it's like you might be like hey take me back to that virtual thing <laughs> yeah maybe although i think you're due for a big party so yeah. the whole team can get together and celebrate the success yeah. of this book i can't remember no. what i was watching yesterday or whatever it was about like book tours and you know oh it was jason mott and he was talking about how he went on like the six-week grueling book tour and so at the time he was just like oh my god it was like so grueling and it was horrible and now he's like oh, I kind of want to go back and do book tour. <laughs> so you're going to yeah. have just the opposite. It's going to be like, oh, you know, maybe I like that virtual thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, Eric, actually, it's, go ahead. Go ahead. I was like, are you sad that you haven't been able to do anything in person for the for the tour so far? Um, I guess a bit of me, but also like I felt like I wouldn't have been able to go to so many bookstores, do so many readings, yeah. and I feel like I would have tired out much more quickly, I feel like for me, like travel is kind of exhausting. Even if you've been on planes like only three hours, like for me, like just prepping for that. Um, so yeah. I feel like this is a good way to like ease into like being yeah. on the author tour, just starting virtual, and maybe next time I'll be prepared. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I have awesome. to say, it is absolutely true that you know the fact is coming to Warwick's for you being in Washington D.C. being it would have been a lot to get you out here. Um, cause we're kind of at the opposite ends of the country. Um, so this is, so this is what I love about virtual is that we're able to host you and bring you to our audience and our readers. Um, so I, 
there's things about the virtual that I absolutely love. I mean, I love the in-person, but um, the virtual is not its thing. Uh, so Jessica is saying, um, so Chad, Chad's chiming in, Ch- Chip Kid is no slouch. <laughs> About your thanks, Chad. <laughs> thanks, Chad. <laughs> so Jessica is thank you, Eric. Your book was my book of the month selection for May, and I can't and she can't mm. wait to read it. She is so glad she stumbled upon this event when she tried to find out more about you online. So we're glad you found it too, Jessica. So yeah, awesome. that's the fun part of book tour, and that is just like when you get affirmation from readers, that's the part that you're kind of missing from the live events, you know, when you're in person, um, because that really does feel good when people connect and, and they like your writing. So um, anyways, we are just about out of time here. So Jennifer, tell us where we can find out more about you. And if anybody wants to follow you on any social media or anything. Okay. Well, first of all, um, this will be broadcasted on our podcast, The Premise, which is the official podcast of the San Diego Writers Festival, which is taking place on July 17th and July 31st, two full days. Eric, maybe next year we'll hit you up and see if we can get you to come to the Writers Festival. You can put that in your cap and think about it. You can follow me on Twitter at Jennifer Grace, and you can learn more about me at my website, jenniferthompson.com. Perfect. Yes, there's going to be lots of great authors, and Eric, it's a great festival. So put it in a 2022 thing to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Eric, for you, what's your favorite? Uh, do you like doing Twitter? What do you like to do? Anything on social media? Um, I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm on Instagram too, but that's less active. So Twitter is the best way to find me and my. Twitter username is at Eric when is okay. 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 Nice. Did you like that? <laughs> <laughs> it's been such a pleasure hosting you. I want to thank Kanat for allowing us to have this event tonight. Um, and I just wish you nothing but great success with this. It's a great book and Absolutely. I see your star continuing to rise. So I look forward to watching it rise because you're yeah. a beautiful writer. Wonderful yeah. book. Please buy this from Warwick's everyone. There we go. Book.